Welcome back to another episode of A Gift from Adversity. My name is Julie Love. I'm your host. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today we are recording episode 60. Before I introduce my guest, I want to introduce my book, which is A Gift from Adversity. It's the same title as this podcast, and it's a book available on Amazon. A Gift from Adversity. The subtitle is Overcoming Sexual Abuse, Domestic Violence, Bullying, and Homelessness. I experienced all of this in Japan, and after I felt really compelled to publish this book, I got a lot of information and stories that was shared with me that some of my friends that I had no idea they have also experienced all these adversities. And I felt very compelled to create a platform where people can talk about the adversities. And my goal is really to normalize these conversations so we can learn from each other and we can share the tools that to use to overcome. So today we have a wonderful guest. Um, his name is Wanako Overheaver and he is coming from Austria. Hi, Wanako. Thank you so much for coming to A Gift from Adversity today. Hi. Nice to be here. <laughs> so can you tell our audience who you are, where you're located, and what you do? So I, I live in Graz, Austria. That's in, in a small country in Europe. And But I grew up in the United States, and, and in, I had a year in Italy also. So I've been in, lived in three countries. And yeah, I'm at, currently I'm a childminder, but I'm also a podcaster. And my, and so, yeah, you'll ask about that later. Yeah, so those are the things I do. And what are the website? Do you have a website or do you have a social media handle? And what's your podcast title? Yeah, so the podcast is called The Holy Spirit's Curriculum of Joy. And you can find it on all major podcast platforms and on YouTube. And I and for and I also have a Telegram channel where you can join in live when I um, record the podcast episodes. And I have a Facebook page of the same name, which you can find as well. So yeah. And then what is mainly about your podcast? The podcast is about A Course in Miracles and interdisciplinary synergies. And I have people from all over the world who join me as guests. So it's, it's really fascinating. They share their stories there. And some of them are sharing about their books and all kinds of different things. And it really is very, very exciting because we are joining to remember who we are. And I think that's the same topic here, just in a different wrap up. So yeah, to remember who we are and to remember our power and to, yeah, take it into our own hands, right? Great. Well, thank you so much, Monaco. And let's talk about the first question, which is the adversity. So can you tell our audience, what was your adversity? Yeah, I would like to take an adversity that I was born into. So my family had a, um, 
my grandparents, mainly from my mother's side, had to deal with war and having to have flown from Germany to France, and, and they had atrocious experiences. And this adversity is that, and my great-grandfather had died for his beliefs, he was murdered. And so I had all this family history of all these ugly things that happened. And the, the one of the things is, do you want to speak up and share who you are? If that could mean you will die, right? Because if you know that your great grandfather was killed for his beliefs and, and speaking up for what he believed in, that is very scary. So I think that that is an adversity. I was not always aware of how much of an adversity that is, but it has really impacted that it's hard. It has been hard to come to a place where I'm willing to speak about myself and my life and my thoughts and so on. But I, I have come to being a podcaster, which is being in the public eye. So I've really traveled far. So can you explain a little bit more of like, what was the um, exact event that grandfather was killed, if you don't mind? And then I'm very sorry to hear. And um, how did you learn about it? Um, like, what was it talked about within the family? What's taboo? Like, what is okay? And all the growing up. Yeah, well, it was my great-grandfather, not my grandfather. My grandfather had to flee Germany with his wife, right? But my great-grandfather, he, he, he was a public figure. He was a, a politician in the Socialist Party in Germany. And he was in the parliament, and he said no to taking up credit for the First World War. The only one in his party to say no, let's not do that. So he was against the war. He didn't want a war to happen. We know the First World War, the the official cause was this murder of a of a of a hap, of a royal, right? And so, yeah, and he, he said he was against the war. So he said no to these take, picking up money, putting money into the war effort. And then he, had, he left the party afterwards because nobody was willing to accept him there. And he started the German Communist Party. And he, he was always fighting for the rights of people, workers and, and people, underprivileged people, to, to make sure that they have opportunities and can live wonderful lives as well, right? And so the, this was a, and he was always for peace and he was persecuted a lot. He, had, he was even sent to the front of the war and he was not willing to kill anyone and things like that just to get back at him. And so he was very popular, but the, his previous party was not happy with that. And today we know that it was the boss of that party who, who paid for the murder of him and the other lady who, who was at the top of the Communist Party of Germany at the time. So 
Yeah, Rosa Luxemburg and Karl Liebknecht. I don't know if you've ever heard those names, but those are the two people who were murdered. And so this is a very big trauma to, you know, hear someone that is for peace and is for love, that they get murdered for, for standing up for that. And then, of course, his family was persecuted, right, as well, because they were a different of a different political opinion than the, the government, right? And so, yeah, and then later on, my grandpa had to flee Germany with his wife because she was Jewish, and luckily they got warned not to go home from work and flee because otherwise they would have been deported. So, and then they, they had to, in their being in, in the other country, in France, even there, they were put into camps my grandparents. So they went through a lot. And so they had to survive on nothing almost, you know, he, my grandfather would father would kill a snake in order to have something to eat, or take the or when people had taken in the crops, there was a little bit left, he'd try to collect what was left after they had harvested their crops, things like that. So they went through a lot. And then they had to flee again because otherwise in France it wasn't safe because France was cooperating with Germany for a long time as well during the war. So they had to flee to Switzerland. And when they fled, they were almost killed. They were shoot, the French were shooting at them, right? When they climbed over that fence, even though they had a baby. So it was really dramatic. And, and they, the people who had helped them they, the priest who had helped them flee, um, he wasn't able to show up because he had seen little babies thrown against the wall in front of their mothers and killed that way. So he couldn't take it anymore. So it was, it was, these are the stories I heard. I cannot vouch for everything, but some the camps were, I can, those are things that are proven, right? These camps where they had to, were interned. So the, the, my grandparents were an example of very strong people because they went through all this adversity. But on the same time, I knew the story of my great grandfather and of course the worries, you know, because if you were persecuted, your family, um, you, you might expect to be continued to be persecuted, right? Because who can trust anyone once you've had that type of experience? So uh, there was trauma there as well. But I know that my grandparents, nonetheless, were very kind people. And so that, and they were very thankful for those who had helped them in these horrible times. So you said when they fled to Switzerland, they had a baby. So is that your parents? That's my mother, yeah. And how did your mom share these stories of growing up in Switzerland and later? Um, she she didn't speak much about it. My, the people who spoke more was my grandma was the one who spoke most about it. And so, yeah, so that's a, a different, so she was the main person to share about it. But my mother in the meantime has started sharing about it as well. Um, not to me particularly, but in general. 
see. Yeah. So it's it's a something that is still on our minds, even though it's a while ago, right? Wow. So you said you were in America, you grew up in America? Yes. So you came, your mom came from Switzerland to America? No, they went back to France and she grew up in France. But but I, my father is from Austria and she was in Austria for when she studied dance in Austria as well. So yeah, so they met there. <laughs> and then they they went to America for for a while and in that period I was born and lived there. And then they wanted to and my father went on a sabbatical to Italy and worked there so we were there for a, a little bit more than a year. And then we went back to the United States and then to Austria. So it was even that was quite uh, uh, some trauma in there as well adversity because you have to get to know a new language and you probably know a lot about that having been in Japan and now in America as, as I can understand. So yeah, this changing of languages and cultures is also part of what you face when you have this type of history of moving from one country to the other, but that's not the, that's not the one I was talking about before, yeah. So Monica, I wanna ask you a question that this history that was told to you and growing up uh, in different countries, you, you said you didn't really realize how much of a factor or impact that had. Um, so how, how do you describe, when did you discover it was affecting you? Like when you were a teenager, when you were in high school? Uh, that's a good question. And, and I think it, it became more apparent when I was a teenager because then the next adversity came, my parents um, separated. And so, yeah, I think that's, that's a time where it became even more um, difficult for me. And I, and I, even when I, in that adversity, I, I had a decision that impacted me as well that I made in my thoughts, a thought that was negative. And I'm hoping to overcome that in the way that I'm, I'm working on it, right? Because I thought, okay, there's a limit to how much I can love, right? Because it was so much pain, so much struggle, and, and I couldn't, you know, and then to, to be able to stay loving towards one's parent, my mother in that case, right? And my father, I, I wasn't able to do, there was a limit to my ability to do that. And that, so I thought that love was a limited thing. And that's something that I've, I'm changing my mind about. So prior to becoming a teenager and then your parents' separation, when your grandmother was telling those story, were you, do you remember it was scary? It was like, were you like fearful? Yeah, um, I don't know how much she told me um, at which age she started telling me these stories. I, I think it was more, you know, a little, perhaps a little before that, before my parents separated. So maybe a, a few years before that or something. I don't think she was telling me all these stories before that. 
and it became ever more intense with time because it became more obvious to me. Yeah. And we had language barriers as well, right? Because it also, I didn't know German well enough when I was a kid, uh, German or French or whatever languages they were speaking. I didn't know them very well. So I, I think that was also a reason why she couldn't tell me these things before that. I don't know if she would have told me earlier, but my mom certainly was speaking about things like she was sharing all kinds of books of about war and how people were helping there or all these things for justice even prior to that. So that I was, you know, the bombing of Hiroshima, things like that. She would have us, she would read books about that to me, you know, and, and things like that to make me aware of, of that there is stuff going on in the world that I need to be, or has gone on and these atrocities. So I was being made aware of atrocities before I even heard the family story consciously. I see. And how did it affect you for your adult life of this um, generational trauma that was told to you and then maybe the fear of the beliefs or fear of maybe speaking out your mind? Like uh, as an adult, did you suffer all these things? Yeah, well, I, I guess I started trying to speak out as as a young young person, but I was it was it was a lot of anger in it. There was a lot of anger in it, so that was an effect to this anger being a very. Even though my wish was to have a, a loving message, right? I I was angry at people, so to speak, for not doing something about this or that or other. So I think that that's something that. Yeah, in my adult life, I think it has affected me that I'm not, I have not been able to to step out as much as I should, or to to you know to know what I want to do because I I felt so uncertain, right? You know, this idea you could be murdered for your ideas holds you back in in your artistic expression, in your writing, in your in your talking, and you you have you know, a certain amount of yeah, suspicions, you know, suspicions, I don't know. So if I speak up or if I say something, I'll get it wrong and then I'll get some negative impact from it and this and that. And of course that happened, right? <laughs> you did get backlash. So so I think that's something that I, I still am working on to overcome that and to find a way to be able to be who I am and and be able to pursue my goals and my my purposes, right? Uh, the things that are important to me and feel good about it and safe. It's very interesting to hear intergenerational trauma that um, my grandmother certainly shared some stories about the World War II. Um, she was often um, she said one time there's air raid and then she went to escape and then when she came back the bullets were coming through the roof and then she had no adults around her especially men because they all went to war so there are a bunch of kids without parents that she ended up raising 
around with like so little food and then so much poverty that um you know i i can't comprehend what she went through she was a very strong woman and but again your story is completely different but i just wanted to mention that intergenerational trauma i feel my grandma's case and my mom who was born after the world war ii believed that he is she's reincarnation reincarnated after the hiroshima bomb because he she remembers all these like you know, tragedies for some reason since the birth but she always told me about it and then she always told that she was against the war and then peace and all that stuff so it definitely had some effect and obviously learning the history and then i actually met somebody from hiroshima where she was um told by her grandma about that to make bomb but all she remembered was just scary the story scary but now my first husband was american and i came to this country and then obviously there are so many interact international marriages between japanese and american where we were fighting in my grandma's generation and i remember my first husband's grandpa who fought for the world war ii against japan and then he married his brother also married to a japanese woman and then he's like what's going on with my grandkids and stuff because he has some resentment against japan still so it's very interesting perspective that we are 2000 in 2022 and then the wars happening in the world ukraine russia and then how would they maybe in 80 years from now or 100 years of now you know interact with each other so for you um your great-grandfather's trauma and a grandparents trauma that's passed on to you do you feel a little bit fear of interacting people from germany or do you have friends from germany or do you feel okay um what what the issue is is when people speak things say things that are are you know count against foreigners or against other cultures and so on these things um they trigger me I, i'm living in a country that was part of it right austria was part of that that war they were part of the bigger germany or whatever it was called at the time right so these so i'm living in a country that was was pursuing jews was killing jews and doing all these atrocities so so no i'm not not generally afraid but when these when there are these things coming up you know people saying these things for me it means a lot more than to people who you know casually say it and think you know okay it's funny they might make jokes about it they may think it's funny or they're this or that and i just and i'm just shocked by it and so yes it it, it bothers me it still yeah. does and have you had any confrontational situation that you have to face? 
I've I've had things where I've experienced. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't. I was in Spain once on an island, and because I came from Austria, someone treated me badly. Like, so I I actually was assaulted in a way. So I, I did experience things like that, but it wasn't the Germany doing it or Germans doing it or Austrians doing it. It was Spanish people doing it. <laughs> so. So, you know, I, I do know that this exists and I do hear people thinking these ways, right? And thinking in ways where you could think, okay, they want to have the same thing happen again, you know, because they're thinking that way. So that, that does trigger me. And it has had me thinking a lot about how I judge, right? Judge people and, and other others. And I've, I've had to go deeper in that because then I, I I realized how much judgment and resentment I had at some point and and I I was then I said I need to understand people better and so I I actually stu studied um, social and cultural anthropology so wow. uh, so that that is to understand people from all over the world and and I, my main reason was to write write good books right but I, but I, yeah, we'll talk about that a little more. Sure, absolutely. Well, Wanako, I really appreciate you, uh, um, you express, expressing this, and then you are my first guest to talk about this intergeneration trauma of the war and the beliefs and then freedom of speech. And just to talk about freedom of speech itself, the people take for granted and the ideas that you shared and i'm a journalist i make films and you know i'm in america where i i totally feel free and safe to talk about a lot of things that not during the world war ii but some of the things that i talk about is still taboo in japan and feel uncomfortable. Um, so for instance, that child sex abuse, that it's the Me Too movement wasn't never there in Japan growing up. So that was very uncomfortable or nobody believed me. Um, I had an opportunity for the Japanese reality TV show to come and highlight my life, which was viewed by 7.5 million people. And I still couldn't say, about the child sex abuse because it was from my dad. And, you know, not only you are given and granted the freedom of speech as our generation in 2022, but the fear that's created in your head that precautions and what would happen if I say this in public and then those are the fears that I couldn't overcome when I was getting interviewed by the Japanese TV. And the director asked me to speak out and I just couldn't. I just feared. And then um, I think that's the thing though, like although you are giving all these things, the greater fear is really in your mind. In some cases, I must say, might be right because there are cases that had consequences yeah so absolutely 
I, I even, you know, because of sharing about my great grandfather and this stuff, there was a person who said, okay, I, I don't want to have anything to do with you. Are you trying to bring communism to America? I'm not, I'm, I never said that I was anything of the sort or other, right? I was just speaking about my family history, right? And so, that, so that's the type of things that you might experience, you know? Not that we're speaking again, we were speaking again a while ago, right? But this person came back, but, and, but it's, it, it's still, you know, that's quite amazing. You know, you just share this and then suddenly you get this massive attack. It is very sad to hear that people just don't understand that war, World War One and World War Two, is way behind us. It's almost, you know, two, three generations ago. People still like hold grudge against each other or get like really sensitive and attack each other and it has nothing to do with you want to go and then it has really nothing to do with our generation however some people i feel fear or can't get over the biases or and then i don't blame um all of them to an individual but i kind of want to share the experience that i had between korea and japan where Korean people thought we were just so evil. The Korean history book still has this picture book of Japanese soldier putting hot water, burning hot water to Korean people and torturing them. So those are the images that they grew up with. And when I was 18, I was sent to America and I was part of the Japanese government endorsed youth program as an ambassador. When I went back to Japan, part of the ODA that they used for bringing the peace between the conflicted country during the countries during World War II, which are mostly Southeast, Southeast Asian countries, but the Korea wasn't included. And then Korea and then Japan had so much you know, conflict. So basically they spend money to bring history teachers from Korea to Japan. And I was part of the youth member to interact with them. And then at the end of the three days camp at this beautiful lake place that government catered to invite this educator to basically tell them that we're not evil. And then they met me, I was 19 years old. And then they said, oh, Jury's friendly. <laughs> yeah, I'm friendly. <laughs> I'm not like, you know, I was not forced to do these things in the world. And, you know, those grassroots movement, intentional subconscious changes and educator changes needs to happen. And then the textbooks and then, you know, all these history books are great, but at the same time, there are certain ways as a whole, I think it's important that the younger generations or current generation take it more of objective view than engagement. Yeah, I think dialogue is really important. And I know that we were, there was a um, Austria and um, organized something where we had an exchange with um, youth from Israel when I was in school. So that was also one of those things, you know, 
so they were in, trying to to get this exchange to be in a different context right so yeah i experienced that and then i had to say okay my family went through stuff as well right even though i'm in austria now and i'm part of the austrian youth at that time right um so yeah but it was they encouraged youth to share but I, I don't know how much they did actually share right but they did spend time together and and talk and so on and, and do things that were fun right yeah but you also saw all this military presence in israel right and all these things so it was quite impressive to see how how necessary these things are to people right and how much you, there is still there it's, it's not over so to speak now there's the conflict with israelis and palestinians going on right so the the, the this trauma is is not over and this this conflict is not resolved even though we're so many generations forward right yes i was just watching a youtube video about the survivor of the world war ii from okinawa where um the women had to fight um it's the only land that we fought and also the a woman who was sexually enslaved during world war ii afterwards and also um or uh, Soviet Union when they uh, colonized part of the China. And then they were in 80s and 90s, these um, elderly women, they just told the people about what had happened. So they kept it secret for like seven years or so. And it's heartbreaking. And, you know, as crazy as it sounds, but people just don't understand the power of you being able to speak out your truth and story and how much of it was not given in you know generations before compared to us yeah, and, and i'm still scared right yes I'm still scared and so it, it's not oh it's like you know it's it's a, a matter of accepting this this scaredness right and accepting it as okay you're allowed to be scared and speak about it well thank you so much for that so let's move on to my next question which is the tools to overcome and then this conversation is very um important to me and i'm sure important to a lot of listeners um because again However, it's a long time ago, it's currently happening to you. And then it's part of your life. And then you had dealt with it for a long time. So what would you say you kind of mentioned about learning about anthropology and different behavior, human behavior things, but what would you say that worked the best for you to overcome this? yeah that that's a that's a good question and there's so many aspects of it right because there was one thing after another happening and there's still things that happen right and that that gives the brings up the the feeling of being unfairly treated being harassed or, or mistreated and so on right and it, it reminds you that your family went through all of these things as well and in a major way right and very 
much larger ways than you're experiencing in your life i am at least and so this it's so important to like i said my podcast is all about um letting the yourself remember who you are be speak up be be present in the way you are now and i'm always saying please share from where you are at now don't you know there's no there's no need to judge a uh, person for where they are at right because there's so many you know oh this is an advanced teacher of this that one is a less um good teacher and this and that and i was always getting the message from within where you are at is perfect that's where you should speak from and so that that's something that has been coming to me and has helped me a lot is that this this voice within me was starting to say you know come from where you are at it's perfect don't don't try to be anywhere else don't try to pretend to be further on or lesser on or whatever just be who you are where you are at now with all the trauma all the fears all the other things and that is helpful and i and i've and i think that's true you know it really is helpful to my fellow human beings right to come from where you are at now and not you know because you you could start you know citing all kinds of things that are you know advanced and so on and of course you can think about those ideas and speak about them but be honest about where you are at now in your experience and i think that's the most helpful so yes we're in this dialogue about um intergenerational um adversity right and trauma and 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 it's and now i'm ready to to speak about it publicly as you see right so it's it's a i didn't even know i would speak about it today you know i i, was, I, I didn't know what adversity i would speak about it but i knew there was there is uh, a story to tell a very important story to tell thank you so much and then some of the tools that you mentioned the so um studying anthropology like how did it help you to study human behavior and then applying that to a real interaction with people who might have been against you yes that that's a that's important so studying social and cultural anthropology has helped me to be aware that there are many ways of being human that are okay and that that's something that was important right because you know you one of the main aspects of having trauma or having this adversity is that you think you're not okay or you think you're the only one who's right right or there's very few that are right and so to see that there's so many different ways of being that are okay and that are um at, or at least in within the context that they're in are felt to be okay right and so th that it shows how easily you get into prejudice right so my prejudice would be that i i cannot um feel like i can communicate or interact at the same level with my fellow human beings right because they're so you you couldn't feel safe and so to realize wow there's so many different ways of being and therefore there's always space for whoever you are right wherever you are at there's always space within this greater um basin of humanity right 
there is always a place for everyone. And so to, to learn to, to, not that I realized that at the time or even was aware of that, but these are thoughts that are coming to me afterwards of how helpful it has been to me to see the diversity of what humanity is. And not that I know all of it, but I at least got to see some of it. And it included things like religious and consciousness studies. And in that context, I got to know the understanding that we can be in different states of mind. And depending on which state of mind you are in, you have a totally different experience of the world. So you re everything is reinterpreted from the state of mind you're in. And that's something that I, that I am very thankful also, of. like I speak about A Course in Miracles in the podcast that I publish and, and on other shows. And that, that's something that A Course in Miracles has helped me as well with. Because it, it's, a, it's a book that is saying we all are equal. We all are infinitely valuable. We all are love in nature. We are not, and it also affirms that we are holy and sinless. And now to, to think of yourself that way is a total, a radical turnaround because there's so much guilt. There's so much guilt within every one of us that we're holding on to. And to start saying, okay, I want to see my fellow human being as holy, as sinless, as complete, and not as this, this, um, potential thief who wants to steal stuff from me, who wants to take things away from me, who wants to hurt me, who wants to, or I want to hurt them or get something from them because they have something I don't have. So the, this, is, this has helped me, this changing my mind about um, my fellow human beings, about the world. And it, it's a step-by-step. -step. It's not, I'm not complete in it. I'm where I am at now, and has brought me to the place where I'm able to speak about these things, which was, which I, I must admit, I wouldn't have been able to do this uh, a while ago, right? Well, thank you so much for being brave and then come to the terms and then sharing the tools on this podcast today. I just ha have to share a little bit, like what you said about it took you a while, but um, to me, in my 20s, I'm 45, um, I couldn't even say a word father. When people ask, like, you know, what, where's your father? What, what does he do? And I just started to cry. I, I couldn't even, like, move forward a conversation or hide or, like, run. I just had so much trauma that I couldn't even speak. So now you are having this podcast platform and then being able to speak out. So is it... Is, do you think the podcast is one of the tools that you're using to overcome? Um, that, that's a good question. And I, I've always had a debate in myself about this. What is art used to overcome trauma or is art expression of, of a deeper knowingness within you? And so I think it's an expression of a deeper knowingness within you. But expressing that, automatically um, is a way of forgiving trauma, forgiving people, because you're allowing yourself to express this 
love that you feel this intense um, need to express. And so it's, it's not per se a, a, a tool in the sense of, or, or what you were saying, it's not, it's not there to bring me out of the trauma, but the, it is um, allowing things to transform because I'm allowing myself to speak up, right, or to share. So it's, and so I, I think, it's like I said, for me, it's an expression, expressing what is within you, this, this deep knowledge that we are all equal and we are all whole and we are all loved and welcome to be who we are. So I think it's an expression, expressing of that insight. And it's not a, it's not a, a, a tool to overcome trauma. Got it. Well, thank you so much. And then I'm very happy that you are identifying all these traumas, intergenerational traumas, how it's affecting you, and how you are able to apply um, these tools to maybe trust again and trust yourself or others. I do believe in giving a complete trust, giving a chance or my first encounter and then if they try to you know later on take that you know away from me that's fine but that's not on me but a long time that i could never trust people and i could never like really open up to people because of my trauma but then i realized that's just the fight between me and my past and it has nothing to do with other people, but it's hard. Like prejudice part that you talked about, and then the fear part and the consequence that you think about. So some days I'm like, I don't want to talk to anybody. Some, some day I don't want to open up to anybody. But internally, I think we are loving and then we are open. And it's just a matter of going over this fear and hump that was created growing up. And, you know, I appreciate this conversation so much. I really thought about many, many things um, today. So my last question is a gift that came from the adversity. So what would you say, what would you say a gift that came from it? Yeah, I think one of the greatest gifts is to turn from the anger expression of to the loving expression so so you know the the idea that you have to be angry about things in order to get something to happen which i which i think you know it was there was a lot of this idea of you have to fight for your rights you have to fight for what you want and so on and yes that's something that you may think is true but i i'm coming to the conclusion that it isn't right it it isn't true, no matter what I'm experiencing. So I, I'm learning to when I see these things happen or in my life, I need to I'm sort of speak changing my mind about it. And I'm deciding, okay, even though someone stole my my texts and put their name under it and this and that, you know, things that have happened, right? Um, I'm not gonna stop to express myself. 
that's not that's not a reason to stop expressing myself and to stop trusting. And I think that that's, that's something I, I'm very, you know, it was recently I became aware that my grandma must have been such a person who continued to trust other people because she had went through plenty to not trust anyone anymore. I mean, if she had chosen not to trust anyone, that would have been understandable. But she was such a kind person to people. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Before you go, Wanako, thank you again for coming to Agape University and sharing this important conversation with me and with our audience. Um, if you have one advice to people who's maybe going through the same situation or went through the same um, similar trauma, what would you say your biggest advice? Yeah, well, start where you can start to express yourself. And that might just be a journal or writing it down or, or, or whatever. And just start from there and don't, and don't judge yourself for being where you are at. If you can't speak about it, that's okay. You don't have to. So, so just start where you're at. And if your first way of expressing it is all anger and all sadness and all um, self-doubt and maybe even not wanting to, thinking you might not want to live, that's okay too, but just, be aware that that's something that's okay to look at. It's okay to think about. It's okay to write it down if you need to write it down or to express it in small ways. But and, and to remember there is a source within you that has a solution for it. And, and it will show up when you're ready for it. And, and it may take time, it may be a slow process, some people have a quick process with it, but it's something that we all have, no matter what type of adversities or what type of prejudices we're holding, there is a way to move forward. I think that's the best advice I can give is to really do it step by step and no judgment about what step you take first. And it, it certainly doesn't make sense to go public right away if you're not ready for that. Well, thank you very much for that. Well, thank you again, everyone, for tuning into A Gift from Adversity. This was episode 60, and my name is Jayla, and see you next time. Bye-bye.